Thanks for checking out the UNI Salt Company podcast. To learn more about us, go to saltcedarfalls.com. Hey, Salt Company, like they said, my name is Jordan Perhoda, and I get to be one of the co-directors here at Salt Company. And at the beginning of the semester, uh, our staff team took a retreat uh, in Waterloo, went to a person's house, and on the way to that retreat, we're sitting in a car, I'm sitting in the car with three other staffers, and they started talking about a show uh, that they had all seen and were very familiar with, and I had not. Uh, FOMO is a deal for me. I don't like it. Uh, so I started watching this show called This Is Us. And how many have seen? Oh, this is going to be a good night, guys. We're going to be okay. I don't fully endorse everything on the show. I'm just saying. Uh, my wife and I are hooked right now. And um, right after Super Bowl Sunday, it, for those of you who've seen it, it's a big episode, Super Bowl Sunday. I'm, ca- I'm still catching up. Casey and I are still catching up on all the episodes. And I'm sitting across the table from Cody Klein, as he decides to blurt out how someone in the show specifically dies. And I I heard the what. Oh, I looked Cody in the eyes and through his soul. And I said, you are dead to me. You're dead. And uh, we have enjoyed this show. It's been a lot of fun. One of my favorite characters in this show is a guy named Randall. And and yes, Randall people, uh, Team Randall. So Randall's one of my favorite characters, and this isn't going to be a spoiler alert. Believe me, there's plenty of curveballs in the show. But Randall and his wife at one point in the show decide that they want to adopt. And uh, their decision to adopt was very unique because uh, instead of adopting an infant uh, or someone from uh, a child from birth, uh, Beth looked at Randall and said, actually, um, I'd rather find a child teenager who's broken and uh, just needs help, and I want to adopt them, and let's just live with the messiness and show them a great home. And so that's what they do, and they, they pick one, they say, yep, this one, this is the one we're going to bring into our home. I won't tell you the rest, but the interesting thing about Randall and Beth is in a very weird way, That has everything to do with the book of Haggai tonight. And I'm going to explain why in a little little bit. But what I want you to do is we're going to be in the book of Haggai, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, You can go to the book of Matthew and then just go left a little bit. You'll see Malachi, Zechariah. If you hit Zephaniah, the other Z, you've gone too far. We're going to be in Haggai. And as you guys are turning there, I'm going to set up the scene. Uh, So there are a handful of empires that take over God's people. Uh, Historically, one of them is the Assyrians, one is the Babylonians, and then after the Babylonians come and that exile happens, the Persians take over. And when the Persians took over, they allowed God's people to go back to Jerusalem where everything was demolished, uh, and they received a word from the Lord in Ezra 1, 1 through 6, to go back and build my temple. That was their command. And so that's what they did. They went back and they started to to build the temple, started to lay the foundation. But the book of Haggai is going to be about 18 years after God said, go back to Jerusalem and build my temple. So that's where we're we're at. Haggai is the shortest book of of all the minor prophets. So uh, we're going to hit a good chunk of this tonight. 
I'm just going to start in verse 1, where it says this. In the second second year of King Darius, so he was the Persian king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of hosts said this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. God's desire for his people was for them to go back and build the temple. What was the Jewish people's response? Not time, not yet. Uh, But apparently, it was their time to go and build their houses. And when they're saying paneled houses, they're saying houses of luxury. They were getting theirs. They were making their own house, making it the way they wanted. Their interests, their priorities superseded God's. Their kingdom seemed to be above God's, so they built their houses. What were the consequences of not building the temple? I want to ask that. Because they didn't build the temple, okay, they're off building their houses. What were the consequences? Well, it's a big deal because to build the temple is to put God's glory on display for people to come in and enjoy and experience God. Not only the Jewish people, but the hope was for all the nations to come and experience Yahweh, the God, the Lord of hosts. And so by them not building the temple, it's a big deal. They were more concerned, though, about their kingdoms. And God's. And I think what's so interesting is a back then problem of selfishness and self-centeredness has very much so entered and seeped into our culture and our lives today. Not much has changed. Uh, I hear this, uh, so I recently got married. I hear what's true is when you get married, you realize how selfish you are. And it's totally true. Uh, Casey and I love um, Hy-Vee has these cookies uh, that they're iced and they're amazing and they're from the heavens. They're expensive, but it's worth it. And we eat these cookies together. And what will happen is sometimes she will finish her cookie first. And with a box of cookies still in front of us, she will reach over, snap, and pull it back. And, and in that moment, as I watch her and snap and take it away, something very evil happens in my heart. Like, makes the Grinch look like a saint type stuff, where I'm like, you are dead to me. It's like, Cody just told me what happened. For me, selfish moments like that are happening all the time in marriage, and I'm realizing I'm selfish. And I think if you are going to start thinking about your life, yep, yep, I'm pretty selfish too. But in God's word, specifically in this story, there's a specific kind of self-centeredness that we have to key key in on. And what that is, is that they were so focused on their kingdom, they weren't focused on God's. They were self-centered so much that it was all about them and not about God's. And the question I want to ask tonight, is the same true of you? Does your life revolve around Yahweh, the Lord of the hosts, our God, who created the universe, or do you subliminally actually have God orbiting around you or try to? Is it your kingdom come, or is it God's kingdom come? 
And I think it's tough, guys, because we're in a cultural narrative here in America, and the, the cultural charge is to build your kingdom. Go, get yours. Get what's yours. You've earned it. You deserve it. But I'm telling you tonight, Christian, your charge is very different. God's kingdom. Everything else, God's kingdom. We did a, a thing with our leaders uh, last handful of weeks where we had them do timesheets. And every 30 minutes, they would write down, what did I do over this 30 minutes? And they tracked their timesheets throughout the course of the week. I'm curious, if you were to do a timesheet of your last week or two where you were tracking your time every minute, would it consistently point more to God's kingdom or more to your kingdom? As you interact with classmates, as you schedule your weeks, and as you make some pretty big life decisions, is it God's kingdom come? God, let your will be done, or is it my kingdom come? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. Seek first God's kingdom. Everything else falls to the wayside. This was the problem of the Jews. My kingdom come, our kingdom come. So what happened? Let me keep reading here uh, through verse 11. God says, think carefully about your ways. He says, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. Then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, olive oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and beast and all that your hands produce. God's going to give them a wake-up call, guys. What he's saying is, I've asked you to build a temple. You haven't built the temple. You've been more, more focused on yourself. So what we're going to do is I'm taking away privileges, and I'm sending droughts and famines, and you're going to reach in your, hole, in your pocket, and there's going to be a hole. And Boy, money that you thought was in it was, is not in it anymore. And God's saying, you haven't obeyed. I'm going to punish that. And in the same way, if, if when I was a kid, if the living room was destroyed and my mom's like, go clean up the living room. And instead of cleaning up the living room, I go up to my room and start putting up movie posters and building Lego sets around my bed because it looks cool. And my mom comes up, we got problems Right, so if I start getting privileges taken away, that shouldn't be surprising because I've been disobedient. So what's God tell him to do? He says, go do what I told you to do. Go up to the hills, grab some wooden lumber, come down and build the temple that I originally told you to build. Essentially saying, repent. It's like my mom walking me downstairs and saying, do what I asked you to do. Clean up the living room. And what's so interesting to me in the book of Haggai and is so counter to a lot of the other things we've seen in the Minor Prophets is what happens in verses 12 through 15. So check this out. 
Then, then Zerubbabel, the high priest, Joshua, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. What did they do? God's people obeyed. They repented, which if you're following along with the minor prophets, it's like, it's about time. They obeyed. They said, all right, if that's your call, we'll go start chopping. We'll start chopping the wood. We'll bring it down. We'll start building your house. They feared the Lord and they obeyed. And my question tonight is this. We've been walking through these books called the Minor Prophets. And a lot of you have been walking through these books with us. If you're new, welcome to Salt Company. But we've been walking, walking through the Minor Prophets And my question is this, does your life look any different having gone through this series? Just think back with me. All right, last week, talking about Jonah, going to talk to people that you wouldn't normally want to talk to or might be apathetic towards talking to about Jesus. Did you do that? Or you go back another week, and Paul talked on Malachi. They're bringing lame goat offerings to the Lord And in that, Paul's saying, one of the examples, you're giving, your money. Are you giving generously to the things of the Lord? Are you? Since that message and since we've unpacked that. Zephaniah, you go back another week. The day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. For those of you that have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is the reality of the Bible and what's true. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus yet? Or are you still kind of waiting? Amos a book about helping people who are in need. Do you see the needs of people? Have you had compassion on people? Have you done something to help people? Has your life looked any different since we started this series? Have you repented and obeyed the Lord? Verse 12, they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. Is God's word impacting your life? Or are you soaking it in like a sponge and doing nothing with it? Guys, tonight we have another incredible opportunity. And the question is simple. Are you more concerned with your kingdom or God's kingdom? And if it's on this side of the sliding scale, what will you do to change that? Repent, change the way you think leads to action God is honored by that, by repentance that leads to action. This is what the Jews did. They started building. And something really interesting happens in chapter 2. And I'm going to spend a good chunk of time uh, in this first half of chapter 2. Because I want to walk through this with us. This is really helpful for us to hear. But check this out. So they're building the temple. And then it says this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the high priest Joshua, 
and to the remnant of the people, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Even so, be strong. Zerubbabel, this is the Lord's declaration. Be strong. Joshua, high priest, be strong. All of you people of the land, be strong. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of hosts. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Do not be afraid. For the Lord of hosts says this, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, this says the Lord of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. So what happened there? Uh, I think another thing that I found to be true in marriage is that uh, frustration and discouragement and things like that often come from, men, write this down, unmet expectations. I'll show you what I mean. If uh, tomorrow I tell Casey I'm going to be home at 5.30 and I show up at 6.30, that's problems, okay? That's, the expectation for her was 5.30, I show up at 6.30, that's typically, typically where like frustration comes in relationships. For me, let's say on Saturday, my expectation is I'm going to take a nap and rest because I've worked hard this week and preached a sermon. And her expectation is to clean the house. That's more problems when your expectation is to lie on a couch passed out, but instead you're scrubbing a toilet as frustration and conflict. It's marriage. So I'm learning this, and then I read this passage, and what had happened is God's people were expecting the temple that was built over 60 years ago, or still standing over 60 years ago, that was called Solomon's Temple. It was incredible. It was massive. People came to see it, but it was destroyed. And that's what they had in mind. That was their expectations when they built this temple. But things weren't going so well because they were in the middle of of a drought. They didn't have the supplies like Solomon did, so they were discouraged and frustrated. And so God steps onto the scene and starts saying things over and over again. You guys should have picked up on this as I was reading through this. He said things like, be strong, work, do not be afraid. I am with you. And if you read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that's consistent throughout those books. God's saying these things over and over again as they're building temples and the wall Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Work. So my question is this. They were building the temple back then. That's Old Testament. Things changed dramatically when Jesus hit the scene and died on the cross and rose again. Things changed in the New Testament. So what does this mean for us today? Uh, And I I got a verse here for us, and it's, it's it's in the book of Matthew, And so Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will build what? My church. 
And the whole book of Acts, if you read God's word, the book of Acts is recordings of the explosion and expansion of God's church. For what? For God's glory to be put on display and for people to enjoy and experience a loving and compassionate God. Same purpose as the temple. It's the church. It's exploding today. So the question becomes, what's that look like today? Because the reality is this. Working hard for the church and the advancement of the church is hard. It, it's hard. When you share the gospel with people, tell people about the good news of Jesus, that's awkward. There's potential brokenness in relationship. Your reputation and saving face is on the line. There's potential verbal persecution coming your way. That's hard. When you walk with somebody who's a believer and you're discipling and walking and doing life alongside them, that is hard because it takes time and people fall into sin and then they're in the pattern, then out, but back in, and it takes time and it's frustrating. It's hard. This summer, we're sending 20 students overseas to continue the expansion of God's church. They're giving up vacations with their family. They're giving up weddings that they could have been a part of. They're giving up the money they could have made this summer. That's hard. That was a decision they made. We're talking about leadership tonight. You leaders, you have a full schedule. It's hard shepherding the small flock that God's given you. And the temptation at this point in the semester, at this point in the year, is to put the connection group on the back burner the temptation is to not love the people in your connection group. And the temptation is to not pull people, more people into your group because that's hard. I'm telling you guys, my first year of ministry, full-time ministry, I was an intern actually as I was doing full-time physical therapy. Uh, I had a breaking point at around Christmas time and uh, it was my first exposure to ministry and I was running at 100 miles an hour. I'll never forget the night. Uh, I'm not a crier, uh, but I... I, I was weeping on my knees in my bed. And it's such a moment of dependence. And I remember thinking, like, where's the book written on how to be a full-time PT and part-time ministry guy? Because this is hard. And then you talk about sending people overseas. We're sending from Candeo Church the Pierces and the Snyders. Matt Snyder's on staff with us. At Salt Company, and Matt and Bethany have become brother and sister-like to me and Casey in a very short period of time. And I'll never forget the night, right before we go to the Men's Glee Club concert, where they let us know that they've decided to go overseas for three years. And it's hard to explain that moment outside of the Applebee's parking lot when I was with my now wife. And, and I've seen my wife cry. I've never seen my wife cry like that. It's a different kind of pain and hurt when you watch your brother and your sister head overseas to expand the church. It is hard. So the simple question is, why would anyone do it? What's the point? That sounds hard. Why would anyone do that? And I think it's awesome because Haggai gives us the answer in verses 6 through 9. And I won't reread it again, but what God's saying is, I'm going to point forward to the new Jerusalem, the new temple, the future glory that is to come. 
So I was engaged with Casey for about four months, uh, and uh, we got married December 16th of this year. Uh, and those four months, people talking about engagement being hard. Yup, <laughs> marriage is way better. Uh, I'm not a good person to talk to if you're engaged. It's so much better. And uh, as we were going through engagement, we would walk through different conflicts and things where we were having disagreements about throw pillows. Because in my mind, I'm like, no, there's no pink throw pillows, pillows that will ever enter my house and fit on that. I don't want to hand my man card in and out as people come in and out. Um, so the throw pillows was conflict. Uh, KitchenAid, whether or not we were going to put that on the registry, that's a big deal. Those are expensive. And I looked at Casey and I said, the fatal flaw would be if somebody saw the KitchenAid in the TV I registered for on the registry, and I was like, oh, let's get one of them. Let's get the KitchenAid. That would be a mistake. It's a problem. <laughs> I felt that in my soul. I'm like, we can't. So we have a KitchenAid now. <laughs> it's in our kitchen. <laughs> it's silver. And it looks great. Scheduling time was hard. That was a challenge. We had Google calendars trying to figure it out. Like, we can't ever hang out. This is impossible. And then above anything else, guys, was the fight for purity. I'm telling you, uh, if you are walking with Jesus and you are trying to walk in purity in dating and engagement, I'm telling you, it is worth it. It is hard. It's hard when those nights get late and those, th those thoughts start to wander a little bit. It gets hard. But on December 16th, I'll never forget standing uh, at the altar uh, and Casey walking in and Jake Herring, Matt Hofer saying to me, you can turn around. And as I turned around and looked down the aisle and saw my bride in her dress, immediately what came to mind was, worth it. So worth it. It was hard. It was worth it. And what we see in the Bible, in Revelation 21, is this. As we get through all the judgments and everything of Revelation, we get to this where it says, Then I saw John the writer saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist. Because the previous things have been passed away, we are going to step into heaven and look around and say, worth it. Is laboring for the expansion of God's church hard? Absolutely. Is it worth it? You better believe it. Revelation would tell us. It's worth it. Christian, that's why we labor 
for the church. We are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than four years at a college. It is bigger than ourselves. It's exploding. It's whether or not we want to be a part of it and labor for it. Is it hard? Absolutely. That's why God says, be strong. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Work. I am with you. Be strong. Through me, be strong. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you, for you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's worth it. The beautiful thing is this is not how the book of Haggai actually ends. And I'm not going to read through the rest of the chapter, but I do want to give you a flyover. The rest of chapter 2, what God's going to do is he's going to say, you guys need to remember back just a little bit ago. When you guys were going through famine, going through drought, why? Because you were self-centered and selfish. You were a defiled people. Everything you were touching, the things you were offering me, it was defiled unholy, not worthy of me. Remember that. But in light of that, verse 19, is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But from this day on, I will bless you. This blows me away. They were selfish and self-centered, broken, jacked up, messed up people God comes in and says, I'm going to bless you moving forward. Now, did they repent? Did they? Ch- Absolutely. They started building the temple. But if you know God's word at all, you fast forward a little bit. We actually saw a couple weeks ago in the book of Malachi, what were God's people doing? They were offering lame goats and sacrifices to God while keeping the good goats for themselves. Sound familiar? selfish, self-centered. So not too long later, they were going to be hitting that same cycle of selfishness and self-centeredness. The crazy thing to me is God knew that. God's outside of time, future, present, past. God's outside of it. He knew that, but still chose to bless them. And I think we can quickly point a finger at God's people and say, hey, why would you do that? God's blessing was on you when you're obeying, but then you're back in selfishness. But guys, isn't this our life? Don't we hit those seasons, whether you know Jesus or not, where it becomes pretty quickly all about you. And it becomes pretty quickly all about your kingdom and not God's kingdom. Great intentions but our flesh will win time and time again. It's this battle of flesh and spirit as we're trying to become more like Jesus, but we have these moments where we become self-centered, we become selfish. We're jacked up, messed up people, just like the Israelites. We're broken. That was intense. Let's talk about Randall a little bit. Why did I tell you about Randall? And Beth. I want to make this very clear tonight, Salt Company. That child that they adopted and brought in, that's us. That child, that teenager who was broken, 
self-centered, screwed up that Randall and Beth took into their home, we're the child. We're not Randall and Beth in this one. We're the child. Because this is what's true. Jesus knows everything about you. Knows everything. He can look into your soul, look into your past, present, and future, and see everything. He sees your sin. He sees your brokenness. He sees your self-centeredness. He knows you want your kingdom to come if you're really going to be honest about it. He knows you're broken. He knows you're messed up. And in light of all of that, Jesus says two of the most powerful words you or I could ever hear. That one. That one. I choose that one. John 15 makes it very clear. You did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus saw your sin. He saw your brokenness. In light of all of it, he says, that one. I choose that one. I'm bringing them in to my family. The kicker is, this isn't an adoption where you just sign some paperwork and slide a wad of cash across the table. When Jesus chose us and brought us into our family, what that meant is that he had to go in our place. And because we're self-centered, And because we're broken, what we deserve from a perfect and holy God is wrath and his punishment for eternity. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took that in our place. The the reason of the right to choose us is because he took the sacrifice for us and in our place. You want to talk about selflessness, talk about Jesus. No selfishness in him at all as he laid down his life so that you and you and you and me could inherit eternal life and be adopted into the family. Jesus gave away everything so that we could be brought in. Jesus gave away everything for the mission and expansion of his church, his bride. For us, everything. So when you ask the question, why? Why would you labor hard? Why would you do that? Because I'm looking at a selfless king and friend who gave everything for me to expand his kingdom. And so when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, I'm telling you, sign me up. I'm in. I'll do it. What is it? Where do you want me to go? I'm in. So the Snyders and Pierces are doing. You want us to go? We'll go. We're in. I get it. You gave everything so I could have everything. You chose me, you adopted me, and you brought me in. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you have to hear this truth. And that when you put your faith and trust in him, you also are brought into the family of God, adopted, because he chose you. It's the beauty of the gospel. And I'm telling you guys, as we walk into eternity shores, And we watch the scene unfold as King Jesus, who gave everything for his bride, the church, is united with the church. And that moment happens where I turn around and I see Casey. We're going to see that times a billion as Jesus and the church are united in future glory together. And we as the church will walk on eternity's shores and say, worth it. It was all worth it.
Guys, I'm blown away by the gospel. What you have to know is you're more broken and jacked up than you think you are, but Jesus did way more than you could ever dream. And in light of that reality, he still looked into your soul, saw the beauty of who you are through your brokenness and said, that one. That's why we worship King Jesus. So let me pray for us as we do that. Jesus, we are (laughs) forever thankful for the good news of the gospel. At the end of Haggai, God, you talk to Zerubbabel, and you talk about him restoring the line of David And we know that Jesus, that's where you came from. You came through that line of David, and he, he's Zerubbabel pointed towards the greatest hope we could ever hope for. And Father, when you talk in Haggai about the future hope and glory that is to come, Jesus, you are everything in that equation. You're everything to us. You saw us in our brokenness You went in our place, the perfect substitution, what we deserve, you took for us. And because of that, we are saved. And it's by nothing we've done, Jesus. It is your grace alone that brought us into your family. And Jesus, we are forever thankful. And it's the reason we worship you. And so we want to do that right now, King Jesus. We love you. We need you. It's all about you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from the Salt Company. We'd love for you to join us Thursday nights at 8 p.m. at Kaneo Church in Cedar Falls.